Thank you. I'm going to be reading from the Bible, from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the first 17 verses. And this is part of a letter written to Paul, written by Paul to the Corinthian church. <clears throat> this letter, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which is a very good one. Sorry. <laughs> this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth to you who have been called to be his holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has, been, through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all your eloquent words and all of your knowledge this confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from blame on the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he's faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with one another. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Some members of Cleo's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. Or, I follow Peter. Or, I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for the, for the, the, Christ, the cross of Christ would then lose its power. Thank you. So we thank you for your word, Lord. Feed us this morning. Help me, your servant, to deliver it with clarity. Protect our hearts. So the seed of your word falls in good grounds that gives fruit 
and through your spirit empower us to be found doers of your word in Jesus name Amen so we are in the book of 1 Corinthians as Jill reminded us earlier on it's a letter it's a letter that is written to a group of believers who it's totally different setup from what we did in Romans because actually the Corinthians church is very well known to Paul Paul has spent at least a year and a half living in Corinth so he knows all the ins and outs if you wanted to know a little bit more about the, the whole setup of First Corinthians uh, or the church in Corinth in itself, uh, have a look this afternoon for yourselves at Acts chapter 18 and you'll know how, how it all kicked off there and stuff. But, but Corinth, um, as we have expressed in the different videos of YouTube this week doing Restore, um, it's a very interesting and very powerful city is metropolitan it's got this prestigious commercial reputation it's important and it's got this floating populations when people are on the go the whole time uh, one of the commentators says about Corinth that was intellectually alert materially prosperous but morally corrupt So, um, the, the, the comment carries on saying that there was a pronounced tendency for Corinthians to indulge their desires of whatever sorts. So, this is the setting in which the gospel has gone. This is the, the setting in which the gospel has transformed and changed lives. And this is the setting in which Paul continues to expect for the gospel to be at work. And that's why he is addressing the Corinthians the way that he is addressing them. This is how he starts the letter. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. To you who have been called by God to be his own people. He has made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, this is not the first time that I have read the book of Corinthians, and I'm sure for you who have been journeying in faith, I'm sure this is not, and we know that the church in Corinth is a problematic church. And Paul knows that, actually. And what I love about Corinthians is that in the middle of the mess, there is hope. The impression that I get as I start reading the book of First Corinthians is that what Paul is trying to convey here is that God is not done with his church. God is not done 
And although they're in trouble, although they're in a mess, although they've got all sorts of problems that are self-inflicted or because they happen to be in Corinth, God is not done with his church. And therefore, Paul has got the courage to do what a good pastor would do, to address the issues. And if you see throughout the whole letter, he will come to them in a very interesting way. So it says uh, sometimes, it has come to my attention, or I've been drawn to this conversation. There is at least six or seven times in the book or in the letter, in this epistle, in this letter that is written, that he is drawn to the things that have come to his attention. Yes, it was a a morally corrupt town, and this immorality had entered the church. There was division. There was um, misunderstanding about how to come and take part in the communion table. There was a lot of uh, mixed messages that had come into the church and they've kind of weaved their way in and it automatically become the norm because of the tolerance or because of not being alert. But I think I see Paul's heart here and I want to, to, to really highlight that, that there is a moment here, uh, as you read Corinthians, whether the first or the second letter, that Paul cannot depart from that hope that he has in Christ. Not because it's something that he's wishing for the Corinthians, it's because he knows that God loves his people no matter how how messy they are. And he wants them to turn to him. He wants them to come to him. He wants to greet them with his peace and his grace. The letter of 1 Corinthians not only brings hope, but Paul is appealing to the church, to the community of believers there, for this hope. He's saying, hey, I appeal you. I, I really call out to you to respond to what God is about to do in your midst. Because that's how the good news of Jesus is made credible. That's how the, the kingdom of God is being validated when they see lives transformed. I always thank my God for you and for gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ. You are messy, but you've got gifts. Don't lose sight of that. But also, he says, through Jesus, God has enriched you and your church in every way. You're a rich city. You live in a very affluent, very commercial, very great area. But don't forget that you've got bigger riches than what you see uh, tangibly. God has enriched you. And also, 
Just to, to throw it in there, Paul says, this confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Jesus is making this difference. But let's go and deal with the first issue that Paul addresses. The issue of division. So there was division in the church. And you can understand because, as I said, this was a city with people floating the whole time, coming in, going out, coming in, going out. And again, this community of believers was made up from a mixture. You had Jews, you had Greeks, you had Orientals, you had um, Romans, you had everything. Because, again, it was a very, very important and very commercial city. So, Paul is going to address the divisions. And he does it very cleverly. He's going to mention a few names but he knows that those names are loaded with behaviors. And the Corinthians really know what he's talking about. So there's four groups of, of people in the church. You've got a group of people that says, we like Paul. And I'll expand that a little bit more. And then you've got another group of people who says, okay, it's okay you like Paul, but we like Apollos. And then you've got the third group of people here, I wish I had four hands, third group of people who says, it's fine you like Paul and Apollos, but we like Cephas or Peter. And then you've got the fourth group of people who says, it's fine you like whatever you like on a human level, but we like Christ. And Paul is going to address that because he knows that the division is so obvious that it's being really unhelpful and actually is disturbing the presence of salt and light in the community of Corinth. Unity is so important. That's what Jesus prayed for his disciples. I pray that they may be one so that the world may know that you have sent me. So you've got the people who say, Paul. We are with Paul. I think, and again, I'm speculating here. I think this was the last group that was created. And this is the last group that was created on the basis of being nervous of what was going on with the other three groups. This is the group that says, oh, I look forward to the good old days. Things are not the same as they were when I became a Christian. Paul was the guy who came to share the gospel. So let's go back to what Paul has said. 
And actually, we will not recognize anybody else, but we've got Paul. I remember when the first missionaries came to Albania, um, then the first two years, we had a big cohort of missionaries that they'd committed only two years to serve, and they left. And there was this talented German missionary who played the piano. And um, there were some people who were really grieving about this guy moving on and going to the point that we were not allowed to, I mean, we were kids, but we were not allowed to touch the piano because that was the piano that Christoph played. And we hold the memories very close to our hearts. And stupidly enough, we hired the hall. This was not our piano. This was not the church's piano. This was a, a hired piano, but we still got very precious. Christoph's piano. Don't touch it. Don't you dare. Because what you've got here, you've got Paul's group, and then you've got Apollos. Now, there is very little that we know about Apollos. And again, you can look in Acts, but it's very interesting because Apollos comes from the University of Alexandria, which was the best university of the world, the Mediterranean, the whatever. And he has come because he has encountered the gospel. But also we need to realize that Alexandria as well was the center for Old Testament exposition and exegesis. So it came with that expertise. So when Apollos was preaching to the Jews, he was actually able to have very interesting conversations. So the same level as Paul as a, as a Jewish person was having, having, because he knew the Old Testament very well. And also, without knowing... Because Apollos came from that kind of background, there was an element of elite. There was an element that probably he was not aware, but, but his method of preaching was different from Paul's. Maybe Paul had, had so much transformed the way that he preached that he had gone down the simple route. I mean, to be honest, also, being a preacher like Paul, that you've gone and asked, where is the prison, where is the synagogue, and you've been beaten up and you've gone in prison, I mean, you need to choose your words sometimes. I, I know that Paul doesn't mince his words, but I'm just thinking that maybe that has had an impact. But, but Paul goes down the routes that he says, I have not preached you with clever words, but all I want to, and all I care for is to preach you Christ and him crucified. So Apollo comes and he gathers the young believers. He's very intellectual, very eloquent. He's very well spoken and draws a group that in one sense unaware but has created this kind of spiritual elite. Paul is too simple. We've got Apollos. He's the clever guy. He knows how to say things. He's so clever. He's so eloquent that there is no Jew that can stand against him. Because he'll eat them alive with his, 
rhetoric and with his rationale and what have you. And then we've got the third group, Cephas or Peter. Now, we know that there was a tension between Peter and Paul, and we'll see that when we read Galatians. But there was this tension about this understanding of the strictness of the law, the baggage and the heritage of the law, and the freedom that you've got in Christ. And this was to do also with the Jewish uh, Christians. That actually, you, you, you need to, to come to Christ, but maybe there is something else that, that you need to, to hold to the strict traditions, to the strict things. And I think, I think people that were Jewish and they were in, in their congregation in Corinth thinking, well, with nothing to do with the Greek or the the, the, the clever thought, we have nothing to do with Paul because actually he's just a, an apostle to the Gentiles. I think we're probably like Peter because he's, he's a little bit more conservative than Paul is when it comes to adhering the law. And then we've got those who have got Christ. Now, as I say this, I need to be very careful because actually Paul is not affirming this because actually he is addressing it as an issue because basically this group who think that they've got Christ, only Christ, they are being dismissive of any leadership. They are being dismissive of any economy of God's to, to lead his church. Who cares about human leaders. We've got Christ. He's enough. He's our only authority. And this is also a class that has got a different understanding of the supernatural. So there is a nuance here of individualism, uh, of independence, maybe a little bit of superiority until they pull away from the church and they start their own church. And then they want people to follow them. So do you see what's going on here? And Paul is saying, I appeal you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. So what Paul is saying here is there is no point in being stubborn with your own group because actually the differences and the diversity that is in the body of Christ should not enhance the vision. But it should bring us to, to, to work together for that unity. I mean, Jane reminded us earlier on about the children doing some thing today. Just to, so they are part of the church. The young people are part of the church. And this is not only about age division. 
This is about status division. And we all come together and bring our diversity for the sake of the unity because that's what makes the gospel credible. But Paul is not a fool. He knows that being part of a community with other people is a tough gig. If we want to be real, and I wanted to have my own group of people, then that is not the church. Because when we all come to Christ and we are this community of faith, we do not say to God, I want this person, but I don't want that person. The reality of the community of believers is that God has called us all together with our highs and our lows to contribute so we can be a united body. And again, if God is calling us as a church to bring hope to Westbury Park and beyond, in order for this to work, we'll have to come united in one mind. This is where God has called us to. Paul has to ask the, uh, the, the Corinthians three questions. First, he has to ask them about what is their view of Christ? Because all those four groups that he mentions here, they've got an understanding of who Jesus is. And they're going to choose that and only that part. And Paul says, have you fragmented Jesus? Do you like the whole of Jesus or just parts of it? One, I think it was John Stott who said this, that when we come to Christ, we like to say the phrase that we want more of Jesus. Rather than saying Jesus wanting more of us. Which fragmented part of Jesus have you got? Is it the whole of Jesus? Or is it just elements of his character that you like? This is very raw. This is transformational. This is what makes the good news good news. And then he carries on to to give... um, this rationale about baptism. And he's not diluting the baptism here. He's not diluting his ministry here at all. He's just making sure that they remember that if they've been baptized, they know what they've done. They've proclaimed publicly in Corinth, in the Corinth Canal, that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. So he's just reminding them as well that actually it's not only part of Jesus, but is Jesus Lord of all your life in a different way by giving them the baptism picture. 
And also, the last thing that he wants to remind them is remember in whose name you were baptized. Remember in whose name. Paul says, you're not baptized in my name. Remember in whose name you were baptized. And how full is the power of Jesus and the cross to you as an individual, but also as a community. Because that's the mandate of the disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all the things that I've taught you. And behold, I am with you till the ends of the day. Days. These are not Paul's words. There's somebody bigger than Paul's words. Differences should not enhance or highlight division, but should be the areas that all the parties work together for the unity. Why am I preaching on 1 Corinthians and divisions? Do I think there are divisions in the church? I don't know. Do you? If there are not, have we got the tendency to, 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 to be all oh, good old days of Paul? Or maybe this particular person rather than that particular person? Or maybe the tension between the liberty and the strictness. Or maybe, well, who cares who the leader is? I'm just a Christian. I'll carry on being here, and whatever happens, happens. Do you think you fit in any of these groups? Or maybe you're another fifth or sixth group. Regardless of that, this passage is very challenging for me because also it's making me think, where are the areas where I think, God, I want you to help me because I don't understand. And especially leading a a Western middle class church. How can I help as a pastor to enhance, to, 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 to encourage, to bless you? So then you are looking, you, you, you're adhering, you, you are striving towards the unity. Not because we want to look good as a church, but because we care about the credibility of the gospel, because we care about bringing hope in our lives, in this community, in our neighborhood, in Westbury Park, and beyond, because we care about the coming of God's kingdom. And amazingly, graciously, miraculously, miraculously, God is going to do that through people like you and me. There's hope. 
I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. I want to read the first part and I'll finish here. To you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by the means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who can call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord's and ours. Jenny had the picture in the beginning as we were praying, and it was about turning our attention to Christ. And by turning our attention to Christ, that's how we grow. May God's word give fruit in our lives today. Amen.